Welcome to Carrots and Suffering. I am Nate, your Dungeon Master. This is episode three, and probably the last episode I'll record before we start actually publishing and getting your opinions on this show. You can find us on Facebook if you want to interact with us directly, and every once in a while you might spot us on the commenters section of Reddit. We don't advertise, so please leave us a rating and review. If you are just joining us for Campaign 2, this is a more traditional D&D campaign than 1 was, so you'll see less intrigue, less focus on the fairies, but a similarly morally gray world and a big focus on the pantheon of gods. The first few cities are inspired by classic D&D modules. Our heroes are in Palmville, a city inspired by the writing of Richard Baker in the 1990s, in a module called the Cleric's Challenge. Okay, let's get into it. Last time on Carrots and Suffering. Our heroes arrived in Palmville and noticed a rather ominous feature. The other thing that's really interesting is there is a massive cemetery. A really well-kept, beautiful, green lawn cemetery that wraps around two-thirds of the city. Cool. Elaine <laughs> will nod in appreciation at the cemetery. She appreciates a good, well-kept place. I'll go hang out in it if we have downtime. <laughs> Our heroes wanted to retrieve a holy artifact for display in a temple up north, but the village had not been complying with the request to send it along. Our heroes attempt a round of diplomacy with the mayor and decide not to heed some of the warnings that were offered. Paladin St. Astra's grandson, Owen, is the townsmith. Does he consider it a family heirloom? No. He, he's under some impression. You know what, you should talk to him. He, he'll explain it, but he thinks it's dangerous to open it. Oh. I mean, unless he's chained himself to the door of it, then let's just go and get it. To be clear, in your town, this writ gives me the right, correct? All is not as was expected when our heroes find the Rod of Astra in Astra's Crypt. It's basically a spell that keeps something in that is bad. I was just about to ask if it's a keep in or keep out and the rod is within the perimeter of the circle as well. It's jammed into the circle itself. So the rod is part of the circle. Removing the rod proves problematic, but the undead creatures unleashed have a clear weakness. Can't seem to enter the sunlight. Mmm. I would like to use my bonus action of my telekinetic ability uh, to try to... I'm trying to pull it towards so that I can get it into the sun. And just before we ended our episode, our heroes discovered a blocked passage leading downward inside the Crypt of Astra and decided they needed to hurry to town and talk to the smith to figure out, well, maybe what damage they had done. How, how much sunlight do you have? Do we have left, like, hours-wise? 7 p.m. dusk. That's like four hours. We, we probably have enough time to go have that conversation and get back before dark. We, we need to return before dark. I also see better in the dark. My my concern became, if there are shadows in there, like the one we saw, I don't know that they care about a door. Mm, that, Very likely they do not. That is a good point. Which means the daylight's our only defense.
Also, there's something I forgot to mention about Boulain last week. Since she is sensitive to daylight, she has this gold circlet she wears around her head. And during the day, she has this black gauzy veil that she hooks into that that hangs over her face. Oh, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have sunglasses back then, so this is what I came up with. <laughs> All right, you head back into town. Heading into town proper, again, it's not a very big town. All of the towns out here on the border of the Thorns are in constant danger. So you will pass some farmers who are drilling as militiamen with swords and bows. You see the big cathedral. You pass down the sort of little main drag. And there is the blacksmith next to the baker and some other things. A truly ancient woman, probably late 90s sort of teeters out of the baker's hut and sort of offers you bread any bread bread for the travelers yes i'll take a loaf i take some and munch at it i'm probably pretty hungry that'll just be a copper for you oh except for you darling and she reaches both hands to sort of grab boulain's hands boulain will let her grab her hands oh strong hands yes Ah, oh, if only I were as young as you, I'd still be in this business. Ah, but, ah, uh, these days, just baking bread. Uh, I, I'm, I am sorry, what business? Oh, I, I was the mortician many, many, many decades ago. I see you. What is your name? Sadie. Do I recognize his name? <laughs> Go ahead and roll me history and you have advantage, because you were alive. When the I was alive. Yes, I was very much alive. Not so great, though. That is a 10. You don't remember, Sadie. If she was a local mortician, she either wasn't a mortician for very long, mm. or maybe she was like an apprentice or an assistant. Lulaine says, have you served in Palmville your whole life? Oh, yes, yes. But I, I stopped being a mortician after the whole debacle with them. She leans in and says, with Astra. Oh, I see. Right. Uh, you were here when that happened then. Yes. Yeah, I, I lived here when that happened. Were you involved in the scandalous part of that whole episode? Uh, we don't really talk about that in town, but uh, just between you, me, and this loaf of bread, <laughs> I was not involved. I was an apprentice at the time. You might remember, uh, I guess, you being an elf and all. Uh, well, the, the the two that I worked for. Do do you remember by chance? Uh, scrolling through my notes as fast as I can. <laughs> you it's got okay. this. We just cut out. We just cut out the pauses. It's okay. This is what <laughs> editing is for. I munch on my bread happily. Um. Yes. Uh, Amarant. Uh, Amarant and his wife, uh, Lamia. Amarant and Lamia Strain. Should I roll to see if I recognize those yep. names? And again, you have advantage. You were alive and doing this business when they were in it. That's better. Fifteen. You do remember Amaranth and Lamia. They were the the local priest and priestess in charge of the catacombs, gosh, a hundred years ago. Okay. You met them very briefly on travels. You didn't do a lot of work in this town because it had two priests of the right. silent judge. But you met them. They seemed like nice people. Okay. She says, uh, I remember Amaranth and 
Lamia or Lamia? Lamia. It doesn't matter. Lamia. All right. She, <laughs> she says, "I I do remember Amaranth and Lamia. They were they were good. They were good priests." Yes, for a time. Unfortunately, you know, uh, desperate times, desperate measures. So they were the ones. You know, her face is hidden, but she gestures and says, quietly, raise the dead. They did. It was what kept the village from being overrun at the time. Where are they buried? That is a good question. Unfortunately, they were stricken from the town records. No one knows the answer to that question. Who lives? Right. Did they have any other associates or enemies who were also around at the time? Well, aside from all of the paladins who attacked and killed them, presumably no other enemies, but I guess I was their only real associate at the time. Hence the reason why I needed to retire. Seems like a wise decision. And you were quite young. Oh yes, uh, those days I would have been 16, 17, something like that. Early retirement. That's the dream. <laughs> yes, well, I became a baker, and that was mostly successful. We we need to have a conversation with the blacksmith. We understand he is Astra's grandson. Oh, yes, he is. Owen. Owen the Shield. He was in the militia for a while and was quite talented at the old shield bash maneuver. Yes, Owen. Son of Astra. Well... Son of Astra the Second. I'm amazed that he's not an Astra the Third. Astra the Third actually went off to live in the big capital and be a paladin like his daddy. Owen, however, has a talent for metalworking. Owen is the younger son. Yes. Although he did inherit the house due to the fact that he chose to stay here. Uh, let me introduce you. Oh, uh, one, one thing before you go. I have something. And she sort of slowly hobbles back into her house and you can hear some things digging around and she's like, where did I leave it? Ah! And she comes out with something wrapped in like a cheesecloth. It's bulky. It's about the size of a large kind of football. Not that you would have that reference. Oh, but... I hope it's a big old loaf of sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a big old... it's a big sourdough starter, so this is the gift that <laughs> I keep <laughs> on giving. <laughs> um... She hands it to you, Boulain, and says, I won't be needing this too much longer. Getting to be a bit old. Perhaps you can find some use for it. Okay, she unwraps it. It is a stuffed raven. Like a taxidermy um, raven? Like a taxidermied raven. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks like it's been repaired a number of times. It's at least 100 <laughs> years old. But it is a taxidermied raven. What is the significance of this? <laughs> it It is just... A rather unwieldy holy symbol of the silent judge. So it's sort of like having a crucifix in your house, or... Yes. Okay, all right. Not great for carrying around on all the right. road. Right, uh, she says, I... Th this is beautifully loved. Has this been in your family for a long time? Oh, well, they don't do this as much anymore, but you know, you would probably remember being an elf and all. A hundred years ago, there was a tradition, at least in the south parts of the country, to taxidermy a raven, and when you got um, admitted into the temple, and, you know, you had a holy symbol, and that was mine. 
And you wish to give this to me? Oh, I haven't used it in decades. Uh, but maybe... And she looks over at Creedon. Maybe your apprentice could have it. I want to put it on a headdress. Hey, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> she says, well, uh, thank you. This is quite a gift. Oh, no, don't don't think of it as a gift. It's it's a burden. You have to take care of it as I would have. The good old bird <laughs> burden. Good old bird burden. Before you... Go your way. Did you mention catacombs? Yes, there, there was a catacombs, uh, rather extensive, and a temple connected to them all underground, up by the graveyard. Good catch. Was I mistaken? I thought everything was above, well, not above, but... Shallower ground. I didn't realize a structure like that had been built. Oh, yes. Well, they moved to the above ground structure after the debacle. Just buried the whole old temple. But it's it's probably still under there. If you dug there for a... a week, you could probably find a hole. I understand. There is no access to it other than digging? Oh, well, I... To be honest with you, dearie, I don't go up to the cemetery. People already associate me with the... The bad things. I've been trying to outlive that my whole life, but I don't believe in there's any way down there anymore. Good to know. How many people were buried in those catacombs? Catacombs? Oh, hundreds. This village is oh. six, seven hundred years old or more. Ah, great. Boulain nods slightly <laughs> and says, yes, the catacombs are common. They are a very efficient way to bury a very great many people. They were the local tradition for a long time, actually. My apprenticeship was mostly keeping them clean and orderly. So you would know your way around? Oh, I mean, I still have some of those dreams, you know, of like a childhood home. But maybe? I'm sure it doesn't look anything like I remember it. You never drew it, I assume. Uh, well, no. Here, wait here for a second. Uh, you seem to have some knowledge of local history, and I, I can contribute. And she turns and sort of, sort of, again, you hear her clunking around in her little hut, and she comes out with a piece of chalk and a piece of parchment and says, all right, so... And she makes you a very simple line drawing. The temple was uh, basically a room here, and she draws you a little circle and then draws a line across and then there was the internment rooms here, where we did all of the mortuary work and any ceremonies. And then this little thing here led off that into the catacombs, which basically circled the whole structure. Boulain is nodding as she's drawing and says, yes, this is a very conventional design. Yes, and I guess she kind of squints off in the direction of the graveyard and says, well, I guess that the Astra Mausoleum probably is here-ish. And she points on her little map to what would have been the entrance to this thing. It's built right over the top of it. I see. Well, we're burning some precious daylight. Maybe we should go talk to this blacksmith. <laughs> oh, yes, Owen. Come here. Let me, let, me, let me show you Owen. Sadie, thank you for your help and for coming out to meet us. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem at all. And she sort of teeters over down two houses around a corner and then there is the blacksmith she kind of walks up to the smithy portion which is an, a big outdoor smithy open air space and there is a dude just covered in head to toe in soot clearly built like a blacksmith this man looks like he could crush armor with his bare hands mm -hmm. above the mantle uh, where he is sort of lit this 
massive fire structure he's using in his smithing. There's this very large shield, and he sort of turns and looks up at you and says, Sadie, you brought me visitors. And this this man is getting close to 40, but he is a, built like a tank. Do we have the rod out? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Even though this is an audio format, I cannot stress how vigorously knowing Robert is shaking. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> Sadie, while you may you may not serve uh, the silent judge any longer, I'm sure your life at least pleases the shepherd. Thank you. Your bread oh. and your conversation is lovely. You are a, a sweet gentleman. Keep a hold of this one there. He, he's a he's a keeper. Lulaine <laughs> will also take her hand and say, Sadie, when the time comes, may the silent judge receive you with open arms. No. I hope so. And she heads off. Owen walks up and says, So, guess Sadie's vouching for you folks. You must be pretty kind people. What can I do for you? Well, you're probably going to have less kind words for us than she did. Let's just start with the unpleasantries and get through that. I hand him the writ. Um, he picks the writ up and turns it over and reads it and goes, Oh, look, I'm as big a supporter of the church as anybody. I attend the Whispering Shepherds services every week. I'm not trying to put myself in front of the church business in any way, shape, or form. I just, there's an old family tradition where we go out every year and we check the seals around that crypt. Now, I don't know what's supposed to happen, but I've been told by my father, who was told by his father, that no matter what happens, no one, no one breaks those seals. And, you know, when a saint tells you to do something, you do it. And say that you didn't do it. <laughs> Just hypothetically. <laughs> you know, certainly there's some, uh, some history on why you you can't expect people to keep up a tradition without understanding some of the reasons behind it that never happens i need you to roll me a persuasion come on say hot dice oh my gosh maybe i should be using this dice it seems to really like 19 uh <laughs> <laughs> you should absolutely be using that well dice. it might be unbalanced though it came with my strad funko pop i don't know if i trust it uh, five plus 19 24 I am going to use another dice, though. That's too many 19s. <laughs> now you're going to roll all ones for that. I have two dice already in jail. He leans in and says, look, I don't know what happens if you disrupt it. I have no idea. What I will tell you is the circumstances of my grandfather's life, the saint, might not be as glorious as the history books tell it. And as a result, he never said a word about anything that went on up in that graveyard area and all he said to my father as best as i was ever able to tell is nobody and i mean nobody disturbs the seals i believe i have a complete understanding of the situation <laughs> i would ask how in touch are you with your ancestors on a spiritual level how much connection do you feel to them i'll be honest almost none my brother is really the one that does that but he he hasn't been in town for almost 30 years wait wait here a second i might have something that can help you if you're really 
insistent. <laughs> we are. And he sort of walks back into into the house that is connected to the smithy and he, he's gone for about four or five minutes he comes back out holding a, a really beat up old journal and he kind of comes out and hands it to you and says this belonged to my dad and i don't know if anything in it is useful came to join his father here in palmville shortly after the whole conquest of the dead as they call it in the church he might maybe have known something how that place was built, what the seals mean, how they were made. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, honestly, I've never bothered to read the That's book. That's appreciated. I think Boulain will hold her hand out for the book because she wants to see what they say about the death priests. Yeah, I was about to say, who's the fastest reader? <laughs> if you would like to read the book, it will take some time, but you can roll investigate whenever you start reading. Okay. Thumb through for the juicy bits. <laughs> Do you feel that you carry responsibility or... Any onus for your grandfather's actions? Any repentance? <sighs> Look, all, all I know, honestly, all I know is that granddad wasn't real proud of his actions, even though the church rewarded him handsomely for them. So I was just old enough to remember a sense of shame about it. Enough that I, I think when I say that there's really not much left from that time period, a, a complete lack of details, that that's why. Well, like I said, I believe I have a complete picture of what's going on. And what I think is going on is that the remnants of the tragedy that befell, befell Palmville many decades ago lie under the mausoleum of your family. And the reason why I I absolutely believe this is because as soon as we're done with this conversation, I'm going to go clean up that mess. Roll me persuasion or intimidate your choice. They're the same. I definitely think I'm on the intimidate path right now, so I'm going to roll that, but okay. they're the same to me. All right. Boulain is going to roll the investigation on this book. That is a 12. A 12. So Owen looks at you over. He gives you the up and down. You get the impression you're being sized up. <laughs> you're both quite large, men. <laughs> and it occurs to you that you, you might have some, some edge on Owen in that your skills are practiced and his have atrophied. But it would be a pretty good scrape. Owen kind of looks at you and says, if you're insistent, he turns and says, I guess I can get my hammer and my shield. The only aid I require from you is a suit of splint mail that will help me. I mean, I think that we should take his help. <laughs> yeah, Boulain puts a hand on Cyrus's arm and says, he likely feels a certain amount of responsibility for his ancestor. If he wants to help us clean up the mess, we should not say no. Although we are going to have to tell him. We will. I just, I basically just did. I'll be honest with you folks. I honestly, I don't want anything to do with this situation. But I also don't want you to mess it up. I live here. This is my town. And so I'm going to help you as much as I can. For that reason and that reason only. Now I'm going to need your measurements because I've got some splint mail, but I may need to actually adjust it to your body. I will. As long as it won't take more than an hour, I'll let him, <laughs> I'll let him do what he needs to do. <laughs> no, it's mostly leather work. It'll be all right. You have any studded leather in there? <laughs> he he does not have studded leather armor. He He does work mostly in metal, but... The splint plates are held together by a sort of leather frame, and he's 
makes quite a bit of adjustments. It does take a good 45 minutes. You have splint mail at the end of that 45 minutes. And the support of Owen the Shield, even though you don't think he likes you. Not a requirement. During that hour, Boulain will read the book. She rolled a 12 investigation. A, a 12 investigate, you're, you're sort of reading this book. It was started about the time that Owen's father opened the blacksmith shop. Okay. Like all journals, it starts off really detailed and then becomes really sporadic with time. With a 12, you, you get the story of how he met his wife. She was a maid at the inn. They fell in love. It was wonderful. They had, you know, two kids. And then it gets really sporadic for a long time. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, there's some reflective texts. But with a 12, like, you just, you can't really keep the thread together. He's making references to things you don't understand. It's lacking context. Okay. Are there any, like, names or references that stand out as something she she could look up later? First names, no titles. It's a very informal document. She will hand that off to Creedon if Creedon is interested in it. I might read more later, but I think we have some work to do. One more note. I will just leave my scale mail unceremoniously in his shop. He'll say, I'll fix this up a little bit. It's yours to do with as you will. Well, thank you. Maybe I'll come out ahead eventually. He starts sort of hammering out some of the dents from previous scuffles of the past. When you're ready, we'll be heading out. Yeah, you should fix that up later, maybe, unless you're going to wear it. Sorry, did you still want me to come with you? I believe your company could be quite valuable. He nods and says, all right. And he picks up a sledgehammer in one hand and his shield off the mantle and says, all right, let's go. We, We head there. Along the way, would you show him what we've, tell him what we've done already? Yeah, I could try to lay it on easy. Chester <laughs> 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 and go ahead. So we did come here with a job to do, which was to get that rod. And we did get that rod. I'll gesture to Zerus who has it. And I will say we were attacked by a skeleton with an, an evil shadow and it seemed to really not like the sunlight, and it looks like under the sarcophagus is most likely a path to the catacombs under this town. But this was done, you know, th- this was all done intentionally, I believe, after after Astra was buried. And yeah, we need to go make sure that nothing else is going to come out of there since we did break that nice circle that sealed all of the evil in. Welcome to the mid-roll. This is World Generation Tip Step 3. We're going to make a map. So we have themes we want to accomplish. We have factions that will push action forward and define our plot. Now we need to add them into our world. The act of making a map puts several key problems in front of us to solve at once. So how big is the world? D&D worlds almost always have untamed areas. So where is the danger? Where are the factions we built? Like, where are they located? What on the map do they care about? And how are they fighting over this world? I let my mind wander and my pencil goes with it. Oh, look, I made a big central river for trade. My factions will definitely want to control this river. My coastline kind of looks like there's two good port spots. So how are the ports different? These mountains I drew seem to split the north and the south a bit. So 
Are they two separate countries? What does this split mean for trade, for culture? What's under the mountains? This lake doesn't make any earthly geographical sense. Do I change it or do I explain it in a way that adds to my world's complex history or magic? Where can I put some ruins of past civilizations? What makes it hard for people to get to them so that players have cool things to explore? Now I have a dragon who commands the wild swamps filled with its sunken ruins. I have a mountain cities of dwarves who have to protect underground trade routes from encroaching kobolds who swerve the swamp dragon. Two major ports are connected overland by a huge river that springs forth from a great lake where water pours eternally from the realm of the fairylands. My factions fight for control of river travel and each hire bandits to hit the other person's ships. Making a map is sort of like a playground game of pretend meets a brainstorming whiteboard session. Let your hands wander and then fill in the blanks with your ideas. The map is never really finished. You can always change it, but now you have a list of possible conflicts for your party to solve, ideas for your factions to fight over, threats that make a world in need of heroes. You'll redraw the map when you're all done, so for this step, you really want an ugly paper covered in eraser marks with little notations. Again, the best world is the one you actually use to play a campaign in, so if you find this open canvas frustrating, well, do less. You have to stay motivated, or you won't use what you created. Happy gaming! <laughs> Uh, just a second. You, you've made it to about the edge of town. Just He says, J one, I need about three more minutes here. Hold on. And he turns and kind of walks towards the inn, sticks his head in and says, shouts something. Um, you, you can hear him yell for someone named Gualmai. He says, Gualmai, Gualmai, get out here now. Someone who looks, looks about 20 kind of comes out, striking resemblance, also built like a tank, and says, uh, something, something wrong, Dad? He says, I don't know, but what I would like you to do is, uh, kindly uh, get your sister and your kids, and I want you to go into the smithy and close the door, and don't open it, and I'll see you tomorrow. The kid gives them this really, like, dumbfounded look, and he says, Dad, I'm not doing that. And Owen says, you will do that. No arguments. And he rolls his Intimidate, and he rolls a one. <laughs> and Gualmai kind of puts his hand on his dad's shoulder and says, are you okay? I was hoping he would tell him to grab their torches and pitchforks. Yeah, I thought he was going to say, <laughs> we got work to do. <laughs> Gualmai, is it? Yeah, you, you can you can just call me Gwali. Ugh, no. <laughs> All right, Gualmai it is then. <laughs> because it rhymes with Wally? <laughs> It's just it's weird. She says, Gualmai, she says, we are here to resolve some very dark, unfinished business with your ancestor. Gualmai gives you this wildly skeptical look. Roll me persuasion. Ten. <laughs> That's one of my skills, too. <laughs> Gualmai kind of looks at you and he says, look, I don't appreciate strangers coming through and putting crazy ideas in my old man's head. All right, I've got a whole life that I need to run, a job I need to do, and I am not going to stir everybody up for nothing. Then I suggest you take your father's advice and hold yourself up in the smithy. Because you have already rolled a 10, and 
Gual is not going to be inconvenienced for a 10. I will grab Gual by the collar of his shirt, Mm -hmm. look him dead in the face, and say, the Radiant One teaches us to listen to our superiors and our elders. And if you continue to disrespect our gods by not listening to your father, there will be consequences. Uh, you can roll Intimidate or Knowledge Religion, whichever's better, given your line of argument here. Fifteen. Fifteen is sufficient to get him to back down. Gual, even though he is built like a tank, it does not look like he has a manual labor job. He's squishier than Daddy, and is much more intimidated by Zerus. Takes a step back and says, Okay, okay, fine, fine. I'll just miss the rest of my shift. I snicker in the background. It's fun watching other people get in trouble. <laughs> Boulane kick, kicks her in the ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Ow! What's that for? He storms off and appears to be going to do what he was told. Excellent. Owen says, all right, you know, just in case, I'm not superstitious. Or, okay, I'm a little superstitious. All right, come on. And he's holding his sledgehammer really tight. All right. Back to the cemetery we go. Back to the mausoleum. Did you got about a good hour left before it starts to get pretty dark? And Owen kind of sticks his head inside and says, huh, never seen inside before. Well, this is kind of cool. And he sort of stands over the silver inlaid thing and says, all right, I guess we got to get through the floor somehow. And he starts looking around. Can't you two just push it? We need to push the sarcophagus aside. Oh, all right. You get one side and I'll get the other. Yes. Uh, Between you and Owen, you are definitely like a one man job. This would have been very difficult. But the two of you can move it. You slide this thing out of the way and it looks like someone plastered a sort of smallish doorway, trap door entry, think like side of the house basement kind of pull open doors, little house on the prairie style. Anyway, about that size has been plastered over and he says, oh, we can get through this. That's much easier than stones. Before you crack into this, Mm -hmm. torches. I'll light one for myself. one of Boulain's cantrips is thaumaturgy. Yes. The wording on it is I can manifest a minor miracle. Mm-hmm. They're very minor, but let me know what you're thinking. When they break the plaster seal on this, she would like to cast thaumaturgy to make it seem like daylight is shining down into the into the underneath. It will not have the mystical effects of daylight, but you <laughs> right. can make the illusion of daylight. But she can make the illusion of daylight. Okay. In she, a she... small circle, it'll be kind of like light streaming through an appropriate piece of stained glass level illusion, right. but you can make like a circle of light yep. beam down. I mean, the idea is whatever is down there, she wants to give it pause before it just comes erupting out. That's fair. <laughs> Owen looks at you and he's like, wow, that's, that's really cool. I never had the talent. And he All picks right. up his hammer Pulls it way up over his head and slams it down on the plaster as hard as he can. True to his physical form is a brute. <laughs> his first swing cracks this plaster in all directions, spidering it like glass. Pieces of it are falling away. And he can quickly sort of just bend down and pull up and working over the course of about a minute until he is exposed the entryway. There is a set of stairs, the very shallow set of stairs, kind of small, going down. It appears to be a, a hallway that then goes straight into the darkness. It is eerily quiet. Well, let's go. That's what we're here for. After you, <laughs> Owen, probably take up the rear. I'll take the front. Yeah. 
All right, I got you. Lulaine will go just behind Zerus because she can see beyond the torchlight. I'll go between Owen and Lulaine. Into the descent. So, you step down. The first thing is a somewhat medium-length hallway. It goes underground kind of 30 feet or so and ends at a T-intersection. You know from the little map that Sadie drew you, again, just a line drawing, this was the entryway. And you know that to your right, if the map is accurate, there's some sort of temple living quarters space. And if you go to the left, there's all the internment rooms and the path into the catacombs. It's very dark, however. I feel like the internment room might be the right way to go. Is it unnaturally dark, or can can Boulain see ahead? No, I mean, it's... It, the torchlight is disrupting your dark vision a little bit, but, like, it's you're definitely underground with no sources of light, except the torch. The shadows move in a weird way. It's a tight environment. The internment area is as good a place to start as any. All right, let's head that way. So to the left then? So this area appears to be like a, a long hallway, two main rooms, five little offshoots that look like they were designed to have bodies laying in them on stone tables for people to work on. And then the two side rooms look like basic storage spaces usually would have been used, Boulaine is well aware of this, for incense, burial tools, preparation tools, that kind of thing. Boulaine, would there be any tools here that could help us ward off evil or undead? Uh, There's a chance of holy water in some of the storage rooms, okay. if it's still around. Should she do investigation? Okay, you can walk into the storage room and roll investigation. Do I get advantage, because I know exactly what I'm looking for? <laughs> Uh, no, you're not familiar with this particular room. Okay. Well, that's not bad. 16. You pick up a jar, pop the lid off, and there is uh, several smaller jars in it that look like they've all been sort of sealed with stoppers. Not all of them are, have survived the test of time, but you do find three vials of holy water all right. shoved in here. There is another jar right next to it that looks exactly the same. And also has three jars of holy water in You'd it. You'd have to open it. <laughs> she will She will hand uh, a vial each of holy water to Creedon and Zeros and says this is holy water. It can be very useful against the undead. Sweet. This other jar, I am not entirely sure what is in there. Take a lick. She will open it up. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because this is a game and we can do stupid things in games. Pop the lid off the jar. <laughs> and a pool of centipedes comes swarming out of it. Oh, good. A massive ball of centipedes just explodes out of the top of this jar, rolls down the edges, and is all over your legs. Creedon screams. <laughs> Owen, who was taking up the lead, or the back, will come running in, and I actually do need you to roll initiative, because you are covered in centipedes, and they look really poisonous. I'll take initiative uh, from everybody, because you may want to help. Uh, that is a 10. 19. This time with a different dice. Zerus got a 16. Okay, 19 will be first. I can Eldridge blast them without hurting her, right? <laughs> Uh, they're, they're taking up a lot of space, so the answer to that question is yes. Okay, then I will do that. 
or at least attempt to. 15. Okay. A big, bald heart floats out of your staff and explodes a group of these creatures. Roll me the damage. Seven. Okay, yeah, a lot of the centipedes just sort of wither under the heart. The power of love seems to be repelling them. <laughs> Cretan is just going, ew, 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 ew. That's going to bring us to Zerus. So, knowing the axe is the wrong tool for this job, <laughs> I will wave the torch around her legs. Go ahead and roll me a attack roll as if you were rolling your axe, but we're going to change the damage. Fifteen. Please roll me 2d4. 4 and 1. So 5 total. So you hit these things. They seem really flammable. Shockingly flammable. <laughs> they take the full damage of 5. You're sort of burning them from around her legs, but there still seem to be a lot of them. Bulane, I assume you're wearing pants, maybe? She is wearing pants. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's centipedes in your pants. <clears throat> With oh. the power of centipedes in your pants, does a 19 hit your... Uh, yes, her, her AC is only 15. Okay, I need a constitution saving throw from you, please. It's embarrassing to die at level 1, right? <laughs> 19. 19. You are going to take half damage as you are covered in little bites and poisoned so bad. Um, Half of 11 is 5 damage. Shit. <laughs> okay. You are paled and you're poisoned. You have disadvantage on future attack rolls. Okay. Um, Owen is going to act. Owen takes his big shield and just starts beating down on this pile uh, as best as he can. He will inflict some damage to the tune of... <laughs> well, all right. Every little bit helps. He does two damage. He crushes like six of them. Nice. And that's going to bring us to Boulain, who is poisoned. She's going to cast Toll the Dead, which is a wisdom that's save. That's a wisdom save. Okay, well, yes. they really suck And as a bonus action, she is going to cast Healing Word on herself. Okay, uh, they fail the saving throw. Please roll me your d12 damage. Hey, d12. You get to use that often. Four. Okay. And then she heals herself for eight. Your bell tolls, and they shiver and recoil from it. They seem to fall out of your pants, thankfully. <laughs> there is still quite a few of them yep. swarming around this jar, and they seem to be trying to spill their way out. Claire, a lot of dead centipedes are flying around this room, but it is your turn. Cretan. I know that there are a bunch of centipedes on Boulain, but if I try to pull Boulain like five feet, would that help the situation at all? You like... could yank Boulain away from the centipedes, absolutely. Okay, and you can willingly fail the save if you want to I... be moved. No, she is absolutely going to. Okay, I will. <laughs> I will submit to bonus the yank. action yank you five feet <laughs> towards me. The well, uh, it's actually maybe five feet away from me if I, if there is room away from me. <laughs> You can be yanked out of the swarm five feet I in just don't a want direction. Them any You're still in the storage room, but like you are no longer covered in centipedes. The centipedes fall away as you are pulled away from them. Uh, and then I want to Eldritch Blast the, the pile that's left where she was. Damn, this dice is rolling well too. 22. Okay, roll your damage. Six. Okay, there aren't enough centipedes to sustain a threat any longer. You didn't kill every last centipede. They appear to, like, skitter 
in your torchlight away underneath the different pieces of stored equipment and there's just a pile of dead exploded centipedes squished all over uh, the floor there. Are you okay? Will you ever recover? Uh, <laughs> I believe I am fine. She will she will sort of she will unceremoniously take off her boots and shake them out and she will take off her pants and shake them out and then get dressed. Uh, creating pukes in the corner. <laughs> Because of the centipedes or because of the half nudity? <laughs> no, because of the centipedes in your pants. She says, I am I am fine. My magic is a little tapped. I grew up in the Church of Love. I think I've probably seen some naked people. <laughs> That's true. That's just I'll take my torch and clear the rooms looking for undead or abnormal shadows. Uh, roll me a investigation roll. Five. You see other signs of large vermin, but the thing that is most interesting is the last internment table is stained in blood that does not appear to have dried. So I did scream really loud, so anything that might be in here might also know that we're here now. Mm-hmm. I will attempt a religion check to gain more information about whatever practice that is. Yeah, roll, roll knowledge religion. That is a 14. You suspect that this blood in particular is cursed. Something really bad happened in this spot. You don't know what it was. You don't know anything about it. But this blood is not drying because this blood is cursed. I'm trying to figure out if this is something to deal with or leave alone. I think right now we need to conserve our resources and come back to it at a later time. Yeah, I know nothing about breaking curses. For the meantime, don't touch the blood. Good advice. The other thing, Zerus, you will notice, the other storage room is completely cleared. It looks like they took everything out of here when they sacked the place. But there is a small entryway that it leads into the catacombs. The catacombs themselves is a long, skinny hallway that wraps around the whole complex. It's huge. Uh, and very uncomfortable to be in. Leads back to the temple or leads back to the living quarters on the other side? Would lead back to the living quarters on the other side, but judging from the map that Sadie drew you, it doesn't look like it actually lets out over there. Hmm. It's just a long circle that stops. And All right. Weird architecture. Sometimes the landmarks dictate some strange decisions. My contemplation is, do we collapse this? The whole catacomb? Just this door just the store. I don't think we should mess with the structure of the place while we're in it. Agreed. Also, similar to our speculation that whatever is behind all this would not be stopped by a boulder blocking a mausoleum, I do not believe it will be stopped by a collapsed door either. Uh, fair enough. Should we check the living quarters? Yes. You head back the other way. The living quarters is bigger than Sadie's map would lead you to believe. It has several sort of bedrooms. It looks like there used to be a whole family that lived down here. Like, they definitely had kids. There are small beds, big beds. There's two other sort of offshoots. One appears to be a small shrine separate from the temple, like a little in-house praying room that is dedicated to the silent judge. Looks completely intact. Uh, that's it, though. It seems pretty quiet over here. Looks like anything of value was probably removed. The beds were left in here. They're 100 years old and have been underground. They're in terrible shape. 
then that just leaves the temple, right? One quick check. According to the map, and I'm assuming the architecture, the wall between the living quarters and the catacombs should be easy enough to find? Yes, you can absolutely find that. And I just want to make sure that looks solid and appropriate. Roll me an investigation roll. You may also choose perception if you so choose. Uh, two doesn't help either. No, it does not. I'll roll a perception. If he points out the concern, I'll, I'll roll it. Yeah, if he points it out, I'll try it too. Uh, oh, three. Uh, 23. 23, that's a secret door. <laughs> Doesn't look like it was intended to be found. It's also not part of Sadie's map. Maybe she didn't know it was here. Is this also unconventional for underground catacombs, or is this a common thing? It would be a little weird to have your catacombs open up into your living quarters. Sure. Um, so it might be in a later edition when they actually started living down here. She says, this is odd. This is a door. There's a little switch that you can find. Like, there's a little brick that sort of slides out, and you can reach in and pull something. She is not going to put her hand in the thing. Uh, she's going to... Can she find something to hook the mechanism and pull it? There were embalming tools back in the storeroom. You can definitely find a hook or something. Yeah, that's what she's going to do. She's going to go to the storeroom, find, find some kind of hook tool okay. and pull this contraption with that grab it and pull it you hear a latch let loose and the door sort of immediately comes loose it was a really good seal but it slides open revealing a small square room with a much more obvious door on the other side of it the small square room has a small bookshelf off to the side and a dark liquid drawing of runes in a circle and a pentagram in the middle of it kind of smacked into the middle of this room. And lying in the middle of that is the skeletal remains of something uh, that was wearing robes, but there is a human skull sitting on top of it that appears to have turned into some kind of gemstone like jade maybe well that's suspicious this is very suspicious and there is a book again a hundred years old it appears to have been mostly unharmed though lying open in front of this skeletal remains creedon am i to understand you can get those get the book without breaking the seal uh i believe that i could i, I could use mage hand as a cantrip yeah you can lift the book with that yeah, I will do that. Or do we want do we want me to do that? Should I try to just bring the book to us? Is there any indication that disturbing this room in any way is going to wake up? Arcana is the role you want to make. Alright, I will do that. Not too. my forte. I want to roll religion for which god this looks like might take part in something like this, those types of details. You can roll religion, but you have disadvantage for reasons that may become clear if you succeed. Sure. Okay. And then the uh, the arcana checks. Yeah, I got an eleven on my arcana check. Not I'll great. Roll religion too. I got a, I got an eleven on the arcana, so that's useless. Ooh, religion was better. Twelve was my disadvantage religion check. An eleven tells you that there is no active spells in here. There's nothing for you to break. However, you have no idea what this is. A twelve religion. This does not look like any of the gods that you are familiar with. So if this is religious in nature, it is not tied to your church. What about a 15 religion? That was my disadvantage. Okay, so you being 300 years old, know that the church is only 500 years old. There were many, many gods worshipped before 
the church. You don't know which one this is, but you're you know it's not one of the modern ones. This predates Astrogar. How so? Well, the twelve gods that are recognized by the Astrogarian Empire have only been officially the recognized gods for five centuries. Small correction. Ten. As you as you like. <laughs> um, but there were many gods who predate the Astrogarian Empire. This is one of those. Well, let's look at it. I will I will mage in the book and like bring it close to me but not touch it and try to read it with my yeah. torch. It's a book. It looks a little worn, but it doesn't look like it was sitting next to a corpse for a hundred years. You can open it if you'd like. Okay, it was not already open? Um, it, it was, but like, you know... I was gonna like attempt to bring it open. My question is, are you trying to read it? That's uh, my real question. Yes. <laughs> what, what languages are in your lexicon? Common, Sylvan, and Celestial. Neat. It's not one of those. Mm, I can't read this. I'll take a look. Boulain, Boulain, um, yeah, Boulain looks over her shoulder. You can roll religion, though, Claire, if you like. Actually, or arcana. Religion or arcana. Arcana's better for me. Ooh, 21. You recognize spell formula. You can't read any of the text, but this is telling you how to cast a spell. Shocking. Abyssal is the only language I add to that mix. Elvish. <laughs> oh, hey, you got the right one. <laughs> oh good oh good abyssal <laughs> without indicating to anyone language it is you can read it it is written by some hellish force it appears to be magical in nature book is preserved in a way that isn't natural and reading through it this is a spell designed to summon a god to you What's the purpose of this book? The purpose of this book hmm. is to summon a god to you. Right. Convenient. This book is bad news, and we will we will be dealing with it later. It does not affect what we're doing now. We should probably take it with us, right? Yes. Not leave it here? Okay, yes, I'll I'm... mage hand it into one of my bags. Since okay. I can read it. Oh, okay, you can take it. Excellent. I put it in my bag. I take out one of my holy water vial, mm -hmm. and I will pour it on the jade the jade skull and okay. the i'm assuming the water will cascade over the skeleton itself yeah it, so the water hits the jade skull and boils off immediately Ooh. um some of it splatters onto the skeleton nothing happens likely a cursed object should i mage end the skull i believe we should leave that where it is for right now my first thought was to destroy it myself but then i realized owen had a better tool <laughs> owen says you can use my hammer all right since this seems inert, let's continue on and put it in the deal with it later pile. <laughs> you want him to do it? No, we just don't want to touch any of this shit. Nate's like, touch it, touch it. So, were there other? Was there bookshelves in here too? There is a bookshelf, yes, and it has other books on it. Are they in any kind of shape? Or... They are in a lot worse shape. They do not appear right. to be magically preserved. However, many of them are still readable. All right. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is take out some canteen water and smudge a line through the sigil that's been drawn. Okay. Any any of these books of interest? 
scanning over them title-wise? They're in common. You don't actually recognize any of their titles. They have names you... They're they're all holy texts, but they're you don't recognize any of these books. They're not recognized by the current church. Again, a disadvantage in knowledge, religion, or history would be appropriate. Yeah. Nope. Seven. I'll try history. Let's see. With disadvantage, that's 17. Nice. You actually recognize some of these names. These books are banned. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to. I already knew that. <laughs> You're not supposed to know these names. But it was kind of fun as kids to learn them. So maybe you discovered them through something you were not supposed to be reading. But yeah, these are the names of death gods. There is only supposed to be one now across the whole continent, whole two continents that you know of. But there's seven or eight here. Can I try to slide a hand one into my bag? I was about <laughs> to say, starting the lower left corner, I'm going to... Put my torch to the to the bookshelf. Yeah, I'm gonna try to <laughs> sleight of hand one. I <laughs> know uh, Boulaine will get in your way of that. I do not know what these books contain, but burning the knowledge does not help us understand what happened here. It's clear they contain heresy. Are you a heretic? No, I am not a heretic, but I have been around long enough to understand that knowing about former gods does not necessarily constitute worshipping them. While they're fighting over this, I'm going to try to slide a fan into my bag. I got a, I got a 14. Just supposing that they are gods at all is heresy. You do understand that this land has been around a lot longer than Astragar. Longer than Astragar? And there have been millennia of people and the gods that they worshipped. The, the green man created the world and you're trying to suggest that there is a god older than that that is the definition of heresy Nate, the green man is the oldest, oldest god, god that astragar okay. worships we're about to have a creationism versus uh evolution in, in enveloping creation <laughs> i'll tell you what the the church line is the other gods from before were fake. Mm. The green man is the only god of relevance that created this world. You know that there were other claimed gods who supposedly created the world from other human tribes across other continents. The church has essentially subsumed all of the known ones. Those gods are fake. So there is a bunch of fake propaganda. This would be the church line. There's a bunch of fake propaganda on that shelf. Boulain says, I, for one, would like to understand the forebears that came before the understanding of the silent judge. Because whether these gods were fake or not, they are what people understood to be their god of death. I would like to understand. Take a book. <laughs> one book? Go ahead and roll me your knowledge religion. Okay. Is it still disadvantaged? This is just a normal one. You're just trying to figure out which god is most you interesting can have one. at a quick glance. One of them is also possibly missing if Yeah. <laughs> no, there's not there's nothing. Boulain missing. may or may not have been trying to cover for Creedon to steal this book. Okay. So I don't believe anyone's passive perception okay, is fourteen. Cool. So twelve is what I rolled for that religion check. Twelve. You pick one. Okay. If just as a note going forward. If anyone feels they need to sneak or sleight of hand around Xeris, as a player, I'm just going to fail. 
<laughs> I mean, I am okay with you, you don't want fighting to be a hard that as no well. No to other people's yeah. improv. That would be that's a, exactly. that's a good practice. I'm, if you roll I mean, I, a I one, I feel like the sleight of hand should have an advantage because Boulain was trying to distract Zeros so that she could do it. The sleight of hand was a success. <laughs> I don't necessarily okay. agree that Zeros should always have to lose in these situations. Yeah, I don't know that he always we has can to lose either. decide what's narratively interesting right. out of character instead of relying on the dice to make some determinations because Zerus is often a hard no and we don't want to mm -hmm. have that. If you do time. choose narratively to like push it though, I won't be upset sure. because I expect that of your character. Um, Bulain, you have one book. Creedon, you I have one book. I wrote banned book. <laughs> on, banned on book. dead yep. gods. Banned on book dead. on old it, death. It's specifically on dead death gods or forgotten death gods. Okay, so do we each have a book on one of mm -hmm. these dead death gods or banned death gods? You have a you have a book of death gods from a specific tribe. It might be on one, it might be on three. I'll actually have you roll dice later. You didn't roll high enough on okay. knowledge okay. religion to know what you've got yet. Yeah, and I just kind of would have gone for one at random. Right. Okay. Sounds good. But apparently in the hidden room in this temple, there were books dedicated to essentially the banned and forgotten mm -hmm. gods of death. And one of them included a ritual on how to summon a death god to you. It looks like it might have been cast. <laughs> I will torch the books. Mm. And as the smoke fills the tiny room, I will, well, I'll open the other door to the catacombs. Mm -hmm. Finish torching the books. Close the door. Lulane does not look happy that you brought those books. <laughs> you still have the spell book too, like the cursed possible book yeah, in your bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just make sure you don't like touch it on accident, like opening your bag or something. Make sure we mage hand it or have thick gloves or something. Yeah. You think you'd have to be pretty specific in the directed use of this book to get it to uh, to really do yeah, anything if, for if you. Lulane but... says. And why are you not burning the spell book? I don't, I don't believe it will burn, and it needs to be properly cleansed. I mean, I'll, I'll take it out of the backpack, I'll throw it on the ground, carelessly, and put the torch to it. It, as predicted, does not burn. Something is protecting this book in an unnatural way. It's a danger, potentially a weapon, and it needs to be properly disposed of. I... I think you could argue that we are dangerous and potential weapons. I am. I'm a weapon of the gods. Okay, we should go. We still don't have very long until dark. In the temple area, so this is just sort of an offshoot of the front. This, there's not a lot of temple here. So the this was never built up in a big way like in any of the major cities. So this is really just a sh almost a showing room for the dead. There's a place where you would sort of put the person who had died at the front of the room and people could parade through and pay their last respects. There's a little bit of iconography for the silent judge, but other than that, it's, it's a really boring room. There's actually very little in here. The only thing that you have not investigated is the actual catacombs. Um, Cause it's quite small and compact and you'd have to like basically walk sideways through it. Boulain being a skinny elf could probably take it straight on, but I, I suspect Zerus is going to have yeah, to Yeah, I'm also pretty slight. Owen would definitely have to shuffle. He's a barrel-chested man. And I'm guessing it's a typical structure. It's a narrow hallway with niches, like floor-to-ceiling in the walls that all hold skeletons. 
so it curves, but like of what you can see, it's exactly what you'd expect. Floor to ceiling, little cubby holes that go back quite a ways that are full of bones. Um, she says, I can go in and see. It's a tight fit. Um, so she goes in. <laughs> yeah. Silence is not an objection, so in you go. You you walk in. It's it's not comfortable, but like you've been in underground catacombs before, and this is really typical. Like, there's just not a lot of space in them. Tiny tiny priests move bodies in and out, and that's all they're meant for. You can kind of walk the loop. Give me a perception roll, please. Seventeen. So there are some sort of mystical wards to protect against sort of vermin and things. They look old. You're not sure if they actually work anymore. They probably don't. And as you're walking through, you do catch some movement out of your eye in the back of one of these niches that contains bones. And you see the the head of a big centipede. Oh, shit. (laughs) This thing's softball-sized head with giant pinchers that seems to be preparing to pounce on you if you go any further down this thing. She will stop. And she will back slowly out again. <laughs> the exception of the big old centipede, there doesn't seem to be anything out of place here. She says, well, there is a giant centipede in there, and I am not in a hurry for another encounter with one of those. All right. We've found some things of interest, but nothing that says there's an active threat down here. There is the wet blood. My thought was a prayer and the holy water would hopefully... I agree. Let us try that. All right, let's uh, let's go to that. Boulain, mm. roll me a knowledge religion roll. Natural 20, 23 total. All right, so you're getting a really close look at this with no distractions for the first time. And Zerus, I assume you're okay pouring a little holy water on My it. My holy water's gone, but yes. Ah, someone can pour a little holy water on it. Mine went to the jade skull. You, yep. you would expect for most curses, that it would sort of boil, probably damage the structure, maybe wash it off. Instead, the holy water flows with the blood and seems to absorb it and become more sort of red and bright. And it occurs to you that this is not a typical curse. A god cursed someone here. Someone made the biggest mistake. With a natural 20, can I draw the conclusion that, that that the Silent Judge cursed somebody here? It would be very strange for a god that's not the Silent Judge to take a direct action on the mortal realm mm-hmm. in an, another god's temple. It It's a real safe bet that the Silent Judge dealt with someone right okay. here. Boulaine says under her breath, Luke, and she puts a hand on to each of you and kind of backs away with both of you and says, I believe the silent judge may have issued well judgment here and we may be best advised to leave it alone. All right. That's good enough for me. If Amarant and Lamia are the responsible parties for the zombie army and also the shadow of Astra, that may be the answer to that question of who. All right. One last thing to deal with. I 
Take Owen's sledgehammer. You swing it down on the skull. The skull breaks into about a dozen pieces and is lying on the ground. Well, that was easier than I expected. <laughs> I hand the hammer back to Owen. Owen nods and says, all in a day's work. Owen, I think it would be wise to fill in as much of the entryway down here as you can. We do not want to disturb anything else. Yeah, it's going to take a while to plaster it. How about we just put the coffin over it for now and we'll plaster it in the morning. Agreed. Sounds good. So you could get up into the main area, slide the sarcophagus over and head home just as it's getting dark. It's sealed again, and as you reach town, the last of the sunlight disappears. So a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, this campaign does have an anti-hero, and we did some book burning, which as a History nerd hurts my my soul deeply, but we've all agreed to work through this character and experience some growth along the way. You, however, get to read some of the books, dear listener, and here they are for your amusement. Read banned books, kids. Boulain's book is written in the common tongue. This book details the teachings of a god known as Datar, or Flock of Ravens but it does mention a second god of death. Flock of Raven's teachings are remarkably similar, almost exactly the same as the Silent Judge. The only difference is the references to an afterlife are not ones our heroes would recognize. In the current religion, the afterlife is sort of a void of souls who would prefer to be alive. Souls are brought back to the mortal realm, in theory, based on either their good reputation or the whims of the Whispering Shepherd. This book keeps referencing a different kind of afterlife in which souls are divided into realms that suit them, from eternal punishment to eternal reward, and it attributes the flock of ravens as the bearer of these souls across the divide. The flock of ravens stops to deliver souls to a trial of sorts, where another god or godlike figure named Wumus, or the Scales of Justice, assigns the soul to their respective afterlife. Creedon's book is also written in common. This book details the teachings of a god known as Quiver, or the Faceless One, this god traveled the world in disguise as many different humans, testing people to see if they were righteous. The god would unceremoniously murder any mortal who proved unworthy. It's a kind of god of just violence. However, the lists of potential crimes a mortal could commit is deeply outdated. Examples include impoliteness or disrespect, particularly to the gods. That was considered good enough for the Faceless One to strike you dead. There are countless stories of great generals felled in battle for cursing a god's name, unbeknownst in the presence of the Faceless One. The book mentions many other gods with very specific names, but goes into no details about any of them. Nor does it mention anything about an afterlife, but it does indicate that those dead killed by the Faceless One would frequently be cursed into various forms of undeath, usually a vengeful revenant, killing at random in hopes that one would turn out to be the Faceless One. Xeris's book is written in Abyssal, the language of the unjust dead in this particular religion. This book has some casual references to the god's teachings, but calls the god Vecna, or the god of death's secrets. This appears to be a god that's all about the way secrets go to the grave, with the dead, and are lost. 
It is proposed that certain worthy creatures who hold great secrets should be elevated to eternal life through the practice of undeath. The book says very little in detail. It has few teachings, seemingly leaving everything up as a great secret. But it does keep referencing a central prophet. Vecna can be summoned through the ritual contained in this mystical book, but even the book recommends against this action. The book itself has been given an undetectable aura, meaning that it is not clearly magic. However, if you attempt to destroy it, it does appear to be immune to normal methods of damaging paper. No divination magic can be used to find this book, ever. Well, now you've got some lore. And that wraps up episode three. Special thanks to Todd Ferguson of My Pet Machine for our tunes and Julie at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Did our heroes save the day, or did they end it? We'll have to find out next time on Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey.